Wow. And thank you for your worship today. Thank you to our praise band. His name is worthy. He is worthy to be praised, glory, and honored. It is the reason we've gathered together here today. We're glad that you're here and uh, excited about what the Lord is uh, continuing to do. No more important thing than exalting the name of Jesus as we come together. And we're thankful that you all have uh, been able to do that today. And good to see you always. Uh, many guests. We have many guests, both services always. So if you're thinking you're the only guest, you're not. But we're glad that you're here today. And look forward to how the Lord's going to continue to be at work as we have opportunity on this Lord's Day to come gather together to lift up uh, praises to the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and uh, lift up prayers together, knowing that He hears our prayers, approaching the throne of grace, knowing He's in this place. And hey, I get to tell you a Bible story today. And exciting about that. So uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 30 as we're telling another story about David. You know many stories about David. Maybe this one not so much or not so well. But I, I want to tell you this story. 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're going to begin reading in verses 1 through 6. I encourage you to find your Bibles or smartphones or some such. Now, in this story, in order to tell all of it, we've got to look at two or three chapters. So we're going to travel together through these chapters, kind of parking here and there and see what it is that we might be able to learn along the way. And, uh, uh, and as we do, I want to tell you that we're not, we're not starting at the beginning. Can you know? Yeah, we're, not, we're kind of going to tell a little bit of the story and then we're going to go back to see what led up to this, hopefully, so that you might be able to be interested in how did this take place in David's life, but also so that you might not miss the main point of where it is that we're going. So we're 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 to begin with. This now is the word of God. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They'd overwhelmed Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came out to the city, they found it burned with fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. The David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word Today, it may be a story and you're thinking you're a little bit lost as to exactly where we're going, but we're going to find out what led to what was happening here. So don't be lost. We're going to find out this together. In a previous episode of David, we talked about David who had perhaps come to the lowest place that he had been in his life so far physically. And uh, he had, was on the run from King Saul and he was living in caves and he was living in caves. He was there near the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on earth. Kind of represented where he was physically that he had been. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we're coming to the end of the book of 1 Samuel, nearing to the end of David's fugitive years. And he and his now 600 men and their families, they're settled in this place called Ziklag, unlike the Dead Sea, which is easily found on the map. This one probably is not so easy, but he is behind enemy lines. He is in the land of the Philistines, and it can represent for us David's lowest point, spiritually speaking, up to this point. Now, we still have to deal with uh, David and Bathsheba and our stories to come. To, so to say that this is the lowest place that 
uh, the farthest he's going to be away from God probably would be to say a lot. But I think we can safely say he is a low point at the beginning of this chapter, at least until we get to verse 6 to where it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. It is my prayer for you today that you find strength in the Lord your God today to continue to keep on moving in the direction that the Lord has for you as you are seeking to follow Him, or maybe to turn back and make an about face, to come back to where you need to be in the Lord, maybe to let go of that uh, addiction or that anger or some bitterness perhaps in your life and be able to turn that over to Him. Or if you're here today, maybe it is to turn to the Lord for the very first time. That is to turn and Find your strength in the Lord because you've been looking for other ways and you have yet to come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You know that there are people praying for you today. We always have great prayer warriors in our church and those who prayed for this very service that someone would come to know Jesus today or come back to the Lord today. And even at the just the mention of praying for that, someone here now is even praying. So you're being prayed for by somebody even if they do not know your name, but for all of us, as we walk through this story, we want to be able to turn away from worldliness and turn toward godliness in our life. Now, David has left the land of Judah and is in enemy territory. First few chapters of, first few verses of chapter 30, he and his men have come back from being on the front lines with the Philistine army who are about to go into battle with the Israelites, but David's on the wrong side. At least he is pretending or He's seeking, perhaps, saying that he would go in the battle with the Philistines against their own people, which certainly sounds odd. And David and his men are sent back to where they'd been living in the city of Ziklag, and their families are there only to come back after a three-day journey, and they find that the city in which they've been living in has been plundered, it has been burned, and everyone has been kidnapped. All the women folk, all the children have been kidnapped by the Amalekites, another enemy of Israel. And the 600 men of Israel and David weep over their loss of their families and all the things that have happened. Now these are the warriors, these are the fighting men of David who find themselves weeping until they have have lost all of their strength. So much for uh, those who think all Old Testament, in the Old Testament days, hardly ever cared or saw their children or saw their wives as only property. They were downtrodden. They were in grief. And these were the men who previously had rallied around David and followed him even into the caves and would have followed him to the ends of the earth and beyond. But now, did you notice what was about to happen because of their grief? They were ready to pick up stones and they were ready to stone David. Bitterness will lead to desperate measure. David, perhaps at the end of his rope, maybe at the bottom of the barrel spiritually, finally in this episode, he turns to the Lord and the Lord gives him strength and gives him direction to be the leader that God has called him to be. What I want us to do this morning to find out together what led to David and his men to being in this situation behind enemy lines, pretending to be going to battle to fight for the enemy, and now having lost everything, mutiny is afoot from David's men. How did David get to this place? And for us to do this, we have to go back about 16 months, about three chapters before the happenings of 1 Samuel 30. You know, lots of good shows and lots of good movies sometimes will begin sometimes toward the end and then maybe move toward, uh, uh, then you got to go back to the beginning. Well, hey, we've got it on our screen today, 16 months earlier, somewhere near the Dead Sea. We're going to go back so that we might be able to understand 
and uh, what led to the events of David being where he is. If you go back to chapter 27 and verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1 said, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. Notice that first line David said in his heart. He said it to himself, or listened to his heart. Certainly was not listening to the heart of the Lord. Now David's been on the run from King Saul now, by this chapter 27, about seven years. And for seven years he has been on the run from King Saul. It would be only three years before that he would become king. Now he had been anointed already to be the next king of Israel, but he had no way of knowing how long or when that would take place. Or perhaps he forgot about the promise or found a hard time still trusting in the promise. Well, we know though, David didn't know, but we know because we are familiar with the Bible and familiar with the story of David, this greatest king of the Old Testament Israel. Had David seen the future, had David known the timing of the future or trusted more, he would not have been in this situation. Just as you have no way of knowing all of what your future holds. You know some of it if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. You know Jesus is coming again. You know when this life is over, you know that you're going to spend eternity with Him in heaven if you've given your heart and life to Jesus. And we know that the Lord is going to continue to be with us. But we go through circumstances sometimes and situations and we wonder what's going to happen or what's going to happen next. And while we do not know, we know that the Lord sees everything from beginning to end and that we should be able to trust in Him. Had David been able to see, perhaps uh, know what was going to take place soon, just he, if he just had held on, placed his faith in God, he would have saved a lot of heartache and trouble. If you and I will just hold on to our faith and believe all that God says, things could change very quickly. But even if not, even if things never change in light of eternity, we realize that what we are going through in comparison to eternity is short-lived. God has His promises for you already in place and His purposes for you. Now, if you have strayed, if you have sinned, or if you've gone astray and gone into enemy territory, living more like the world than like Jesus, you can know that the Lord is still at work. He has not abandoned what He wants to do with your life, but He does want you to turn from worldliness to godliness. Earlier in David's life, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13, just after the anointing of David, the Scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and the Spirit of the Lord would never leave David. Well, even when he's in a foreign land, disobedient to God. Do you know that the same is true for every New Testament believer? All those who have placed their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Jesus, lives inside each one of us and never leaves us. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that He is our guarantee uh, for all eternity and that we will spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus is called in John chapter 10, the great shepherd, He says... that none of his sheep will ever be taken out of the Father's hands. In fact, in case we missed it as we read it, or to those who were listening the first time, he said it twice, nothing can snatch you out of your Father's hand. In the previous episode in David's life, I made a statement like, uh, in this particular part of David's life, you want to be like David. You want to follow him, particularly you want to 
be sure that you're showing grace to those who would harm you as David showed grace to King Saul when he could have taken his life on more than one occasion. Uh, so in that case, you wanted to be like David. In this case, I'm gonna, I want to warn you because in this case, I'm going to tell you, you don't need necessarily to follow David and everything that he did in this particular story. So sometimes we want to follow David's example and sometimes we don't want to follow David's example. Well, how can we know the difference? Well, in this particular case, the difference is that from chapter 27 to chapter 30 in this verse 6, the Lord is hardly mentioned at all, and the only time that he's mentioned is by a Philistine king. What is this flip-flop about David? When to follow his example, when not to follow his example? What does it tell us? One, one is that David is probably more like us than we realize Sometimes we live a roller coaster life spiritually close to God and not as close to God. Now, we don't want that to serve an excuse. Well, look, David was like that, so maybe it's okay if we're like that. No, as a matter of fact, I think we have this in the Bible so that we might be able to understand as incentive that we might pursue and seek Christ at all times. But more important, let us not look at David as a spiritual superhero or Anyone else in the Bible or anyone that you know, especially not your pastor, because there's only one in whom we can always rely, who's always going to tell the truth, always be a good example, and on whom will give us strength for everyday living. In other words, let's be sure that we're relying on the one and only Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a, uh, there's a get-to-know-you game, and sometimes we, we play it here at church and gather in groups in order to get to know folks. It's called... Uh, Two truths and a lie. You know, it's to where you're supposed to tell two truths about yourself and one lie about yourself, and everybody else is supposed to figure out which one is the lie. I've got to tell you, I don't always feel real comfortable when we do this in church. I don't know why, just something about lying in church I'm just a little more uncomfortable about. But here's the real reason is, because I've played this with some of you all, and some of you all really do well at lying about yourself. David would have been good at this particular game because he came to the land of the Philistines in order to get away from King Saul. The Lord didn't tell him to. In fact, it's, we're relating this to running toward the world instead of running toward God. But he told the king of the Philistines at least three lies. One of those is that he was for them and with them and not against them. He claims that he had defected and he'd become like them. But in fact, he'd come to the land of the Philistines in order that he might be able to escape and hide from King Saul. Another one is that he is attacking Judah, his fellow Israelites, when he's conducting raids, actually not against Israel, but against their allies. But he's telling the king that he's attacking Israel. And the third lies, he's ready to go into battle with the Philistines side by side with them when they're about to go to do battle against King Saul and the Israelites. Now, none of these are true. But I want you to discover from this story, perhaps, maybe a corresponding three of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves or that we tell others of the world in which we live if we're off track spiritually. And the first one is this. I'm just like you. I'm just like you or I'm just like the world. In Christ, you're not like everybody else. You are called by God to be on mission and humbly serve Jesus and others. Now, you're not better than others, you understand. We are all sinners. In fact, if you're in Christ, you're a sinner who is saved by grace. You simply are or you were a spiritual beggar, and you need to be telling others about where to find the bread of life. But the Bible tells us we're made new in Christ now with a different purpose. You know stuff. 
You know that history is not random, that it's all moving forward to a place to where everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord of all creation. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our purpose is to tell others who don't know Christ, uh, tell others before it's too late. Life is not business as usual anymore. We're called to show God's love and to share good news. But like David, we can sometimes convince ourselves for whatever reason, and even talk to ourselves as David did in chapter 27 and verse 1. Instead of talking to God and listening, we listen to our own heart instead of seeking the heart of God. Listen to this part, chapter 27, verses 5 through 6. David comes to the king. Then David said to Achish, that's the king of the Philistines, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the many country towns that I may dwell there. For why should I serve your servant? Why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziglag. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Let's come and David found him place in the Philistine land of the Philistines. We like to come sometimes and find our place in this world, and that's just where we're going to dwell instead of dwelling close to God. Now, David had the Philistines convinced that he had defective, and now he was just like one of them. And he did that for his own protection. When we're not walking close to Jesus, we'll pretend that we're just like everybody else. We don't always want to know or don't want other people to know that we are different. After all, it may make us uncomfortable, if not them a little uncomfortable. After all, nobody needs to think that you're a Jesus freak. Now, in order to be able to pretend like you're like everybody else, you may not have to do much. You might just simply have to keep your mouth shut. Certainly don't do anything that would cause you to stand out or to be different. Don't take a stand when there needs to be a stand. Perhaps don't... Uh, 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 don't do anything that other people might know that there's Jesus in your life. Certainly don't tell people the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That is, if you want to be just like everybody else or pretend that you're just like everybody else. But Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, so how will people know that you're different? How is that going to take place? Sometimes it may be by things that we do not do. Uh, the worldliness in which we see around us every day, those things that we know that the Bible tells us not to do, whether you're in school or a student or you're a young adult, medium or seasoned adult, there are actions we stay away from that the world will indulge. But can I tell you something I believe is important? If all you do to be different is to, from the world is not to do certain activities or worldly goings on, then that can be a most miserable walk with Christ. Jesus did say that if you love me, you'll keep your commandments. He also said they will know you're my followers by your love. Yes, you are different, but you're not self-righteous. We're only made righteous, of course, by the blood of Jesus who said he did not come to be served, but to serve. Serving others in love will be the greatest way for people to see something different in you so that they might become curious of why you are so unique. So, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're like an undercover agent. Only we're not supposed to be undercover. 
I mean, we, you might look like everybody else. Okay, you look extraordinary today, maybe even more so than other people. But uh, we are not like everybody else. We are there so that other people might be able to see Jesus in us, so that we might be able to point other people to him. Another lie that we tell ourselves or tell the world, and notice we've got this kind of in first person, so we might make it personal, but my motivations do not matter. My motivations do not matter. They, this may not be an intentional always, but it's one that we get used to. Even though David was living in the land of the Philistines, he and his army of 600 would go out and they would raid other enemies of Israel, most who were allies of the Philistines. Do you know that he was doing the right thing? But he was doing it for the wrong reason. Early on when the Israelites came into the promised land, they were told back in Deuteronomy to destroy all the people who were living in the land of Canaan because they were a corrupt pagan people and God was bringing judgment and ridding the land of all pagan influence. Now the Israelites never completed the task of ridding the land and removing the worldly influence. When David became king, they came as close as God's intentions at any time in their history. And the king of the Philistines, they would inquire of David whenever he and his men would come back from their raids or whatever they were doing. And they would tell them, said, oh, we're raiding Israelites. We're raiding the land of Judah. And they would take goods and plunder the goods. And they would uh, give some to the king. But notice the motivation. 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 11. Is everybody okay? We're walking through the passage. 1 Samuel 27 verse 11 says, And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. That's the capital of the Philistines. Thinking, lest they should tell us, tell about us and say, so David has done. So was his custom all the while they lived in the country of the Philistines. David and his men would never leave anyone alive. Now they did what God had commanded. But the real motivation is so that it would not get back to the king of the Philistines. Even doing the right thing for the wrong reason will stunt your growth in Christ and might be an, an indication that you've become more like the world than like Christ. For example, you're in church today, and I commend you for that. Uh, many of you are tithers and you give to the church. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. You're involved in ministry, a ministry team, maybe deacons or whatever. And, and it's not my intention to compare those things to being in combat, you understand. But we'll, when we do these things only to be seen by others or even out of a sense of duty, then we're not allowing God to shape our hearts or, either, or, or toward God to this or to look more like Jesus. Instead, we're looking more like the sinful world from which we come. And when his church is doing what they are doing for the wrong reason, maybe going through the motions, maybe doing the things that they do during the week, making the plans, having lots of activities... But if they forget their motivation, if they're doing it for the wrong reason, then that church will become inward focused. And that church will become combative toward one another and sometimes toward the world. How thankful I am that that is not you, Parkway Baptist Church. But oh, don't we need to be reminded, lest we forget why we do what we do. If you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, well, listen to me. Don't stop doing the right thing, particularly if you know it's the right thing, but then ask the Lord that he might help you to be doing it for the reason in which the Lord intended. 
And understand, because even as believers, we still bring with us a sinful nature. We still battle that on a daily basis. And as we do, we recognize that our motives are not going to always be pure. But we've got to ask the Lord on this lifetime quest to do the right thing for the right reason. More and more every day. Uh, And why, why do we do what we do? It's because Jesus first loved us. So we love Him and we're to bring glory, exalt the name of Jesus. We sang about it today. We're to exalt and glorify His name in every way. And we're on a mission. In fact, our vision and our mission for our church, as we talk about in the 2020s, we want to be able to reach new people. We want to be able to uh, be sure that we offer new life and next steps. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 is one of the Beatitudes. We're doing a study on Beatitudes on Wednesday nights, but... Matthew 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Had David done the right thing for the right reason, the right motivation, he would have remembered God's anointing and God's calling on his life and found no reason to live like the world or certainly not to live in the land of the Philistines. Here's another lie that we tell ourselves and tell the world, My life will be better off. My life will be better in the world, and of the world. We realize we live in this world, but we're told not to be of the world. Well, when we begin to stray from godliness and move toward worldliness, we begin to think that we see more benefits with the world than with Jesus. If it's not what the world can give us from our selfish desires, and sometimes it may be that the world can give us more of a financial gain, or sometimes... Uh, even popularity or prestige, and probably for most Americans, it's the accumulation of stuff or a bank account. And for many, that's where they are either finding or that's where they hope to find their self-worth. And you know what? It may be true for a time. Life might be easier. Life might be better for you by moving toward the world and toward worldliness, but it will be short-lived. For those who are without Christ, it will pave the road to destruction and eternity without Jesus. For those who are genuine believers to move toward worldliness and away from godliness will keep us from being a part of what God is doing and missing out what God has in store for your life. It will lead to living less confidently and having doubts about finding our place in this world and finding God's plan. And consider, you were created to bring glory to God. So when we live more like the world, we recognize that we have a hard time bringing glory to God in all that we do. Also, you need to know a Christian life, living more like the world than like Jesus, often wounds others who need to be brought to Jesus and brought into the kingdom. I've talked to many people about accepting Jesus as Lord and sometimes church people will get in the way because they were a part of a church. There were, there were, there were a lot of mean-spirited people. Others have talked about maybe financial abuse or even stolen funds in a church. Still others speak of abuse. Your life might be truly better living like the world, meaning more sinful and self-promoting, but it will not be better for other people who need to know Jesus. For Jesus, we have a higher calling. Read 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 4, excuse me, 27 and verse 4. 
David had it better for a time. It says, and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. David could have thought for a time, well, this must be okay because I'm no longer living in caves. Now I have a whole city to live. My family, all my men, all their families. Man, we, we're living like normal people that the Philistine king had given us this town to live in. But he had to tell lie after lie after lie. And then the town they were living in was plundered and all of their families were kidnapped. His own men were ready to stone him. Finally, when David's at his lowest, he turns to the Lord. You, you don't have to wait till you are at your lowest point in order spiritually, in order to be turning to the Lord or be convinced God's way may not be the easiest way, but it is the better way. You know, Jesus spent much of his time talking with his disciples, said, if you follow me, this is not going to be the easiest thing for you to do. He said, but it is the better way. The mission is worth it. Romans chapter uh, 8 and verse 5 says this, For those who live according to the flesh, another way to say worldly, set their minds on the things of the flesh or the world. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it might be time to decide what, who, what are you going to pursue. Are you going to pursue the things of the flesh, the worldly, or are you going to pursue the things of the Spirit and godliness? Well, I want to also be able to give you, as we continue through the story of David and drive through three truths that you can rely on. You know, when you live a life of deception, whether you're lying to yourself or the others, you have to keep it up. I mean, one good deception leads to another. David's deception got him in even deeper. How far was he willing to go pretending to be a friend of the Philistines, the enemy of his people? Well, look at chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 28, verse 1 says this, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you, have, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. I would hope that when David said, Now you're going to be able to see what I can do. He was talking about once the battle started, he was going to fight against the Philistines and not for the Philistines. Though no doubt, the king of the Philistines thought that he was ready to fight zealously for him. How good a deceiver David must have been to convince them that he was going to be on their side. He was the one who killed their giant Goliath. Uh, they sang songs about him killing ten thousands of mostly of Philistines. Or maybe all the king had to know that Saul considered David his enemy, and he considered that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. In chapter 29, David and his men go uh, to the battlefront with the king of the Philistines. But look what happens when the commanders of the armies see David and his men. We're in chapter 29, verses 3 through 5. Are you still driving along with me? We're going to park right here, verse, chapter 29 and verse 3. It says this, The commanders of the Philistines said... What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achis said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years? Actually been 16 months. And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. Verse 4, But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the men back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. How could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? 
would it not be with the heads of the men here? We'll, we'll stop right there. The commanders seem to be more astute than the king of the Philistine. David and his men are sent back then to where they've been living for the past 16 months, back to Ziglag. In a sense, David and his men, they escape a close one. I mean, uh, uh, they are bailed out. No doubt that God's even used the enemy in order to keep David from being able to or having to be in this battle. By the way, this is the very battle in which King Saul died and in which his friend Jonathan died. So it's a big battle that's going to take place here. David and his men were not to be in that battle. But we, need to, we probably need to put an asterisk here. A note that says, this does not mean God's always going to bail you out when you make ungodly decisions. He's not always going to bail us out. But it does mean God is always at work to bring us into a right relationship with him. Also, this is how David and his men, this is how it happened. How they were away from their families. The Amalekites, one of the enemies of Israel for whom David had been having raids on for the past year and a half and perhaps in retaliation for what they had done, plundered and burned and kidnapped their families leading to much grief and the thoughts of stoning David. So much for life being better in the land of the giants. But what grace has shown, for when David turned to God, God was there. We read it a moment ago. We began with it. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The last of that verse. One of the three truths that you can always rely on. Seek the Lord and he will be found. Seek the Lord and he will be found. It is uh, what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus said in the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Reference to many things but first and foremost coming to God. Coming to Jesus for hope and help. No matter how far you've strayed, you can call upon Him today. Keep calling on Him confidently, knowing that you can approach the throne of grace boldly. He'll give direction. He'll give help. And He'll give hope. I, I love it when David gets it right. Don't you? He gets it right as we look at the last part of this chapter in chapter 30. For 16 months and over three chapters, it appears David has forgotten God. He's forgotten the Lord and His promises. And now he calls upon the Lord and he asks what he should do. And Look at verse 8, 1 Samuel chapter 30. In verse 8, it says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band, after the Amalekites? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. A second truth that we can always count on, God's plan is better than your plan. God's plan is better than your plan. His plans are much higher than we could fathom. His plans are much better. The Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 says, Many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. David and his 600 men pursue the Amalekites, and a great rescue occurs. Listen, this is why you need to read the Bible. Exciting stories that are taking place as they come and they find the Amalekites, the this idea about being strengthened, seeing you know, the Lord strengthen David, because they've had, they've had three days where they've come back from the, the battlefront. They've cried and wept until they had no more strength. And now they're in hot pursuit. 
And as they're in hot pursuit, they come to a brook that they need to cross and kind of showing how tired they are. 200 of the men, one-third of David's army decide they're not strong enough to continue on. They're stopping right here. So David pursues on with 400 men. The Bible says the 200 men are left there with the baggage. And they go, and they have no idea where to go, but they find an Egyptian slave that's been left behind by the Amalekites, and he gives direction. No doubt God continued to be at work, and they come, and the men are celebrating their victory. And as they do, they catch them off guard, and God gives a great victory. Look at verses, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 18. And follow, it says, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. In verse 20, David also captured all the flocks and the herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. God's plan is better than our plan because God's plan always ends up being more than we had thought or could have anticipated. And they sang. Now, those who are ready to stone are now singing David's uh, praises. Now, don't miss the fact that it is the Lord who needs to be praised. It wasn't missed on David either, for when they come to the 200 men who had been left behind, the 400 men said, uh, let's not give them any of the plunder. In fact, since they were too weak to come and they didn't fight, let's just give them their wives and their children and send them packing, send them on their way. But listen to David's response. Verse 23, and if you're wondering how many verses, this will be the last one we're going to read. But verse 23 says this. But it's an important one. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the man that came against us. Certainly it's a lesson in generosity and sharing with those who have been falling behind, left behind, or even pursuing the world. But there's a bigger picture. Because when he was with the Philistine king, do you remember what he said? Now you'll see what I can do. These are the things that we've been doing and all the rates. But now that he's walking with the Lord, listen to what David says. Look what the Lord has done. Pursue godliness. Do not pursue the world, for this is the truth for all time. Only in Christ is victory found for today and for eternity. Thus, more important than anything this world has to offer, it is that Jesus has defeated all of our enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And we have the spiritual protection of a lifetime and an eternity with Jesus. Why not pursue Jesus? If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're here today, you've never yet given your life, or you're listening today and you've not given your life over to Jesus even through this Old Testament story of a fella in the Old Testament that everybody in the world probably has heard of who's ever heard of a Bible. Through this story, it points to Jesus because we know that He is the only one who can provide victory in the world in which we live, in the circumstances of your life, and for all eternity. So give your heart to Jesus. Ask Christ to forgive you of your sins today. Ask Jesus to come in to be your Savior and Lord. And today, when you do that, He'll come in, He'll save you. Holy Spirit will begin living in you. The Spirit of Jesus will guide you. You can live with confidence for today and for all eternity. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and maybe we're tempted, all of us are, to pursue the world instead of pursue godliness. Even through this Old Testament story, we're reminded we need to pursue Jesus every day in all things. Let's pray together. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to exalt your name. Father, we know and believe that you were pleased as we exalted your name today in praise and worship. We know that you've heard our prayers and are even hearing prayers now. The one I'm voicing or even prayers are being lifted here in this congregation. We thank you, Father, for that. And we thank you for how you continue to be at work. We pray, Father, if there's one or more that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation because of your word and how it has spoken. And we thank you for the power and the strength of stories of the Bible where Jesus is the center. We pray, Father, for all those who are believers here today, all those who've already accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. May we be reminded to continue to pursue godliness or if we have fallen away and if we're living more like the world than like Jesus, may it be the time of repentance, confession. May we come back to you ready to serve you, ready to exalt your name, be an influence on others. Thank you, Father, for your work here today. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of commitment today. And as we do, we want you to do whatever business you have to do with the Lord God. Maybe you need to thank the Lord for sustaining you, strengthening you so that you may continue to serve Him and walk with Him. Certainly thank Jesus for what He has done for you. Maybe it is that you need to ask the Lord to be brought back, turn to Him, and be sure that you're, He is helping you to find strength in the Lord today. And if you don't know Jesus, here's a good time to call upon Him as your Savior and Lord. Some of our staff are going to be down here on the front uh, seats, and we're going to be worshiping alongside you. We're ready to talk with you. If you'd like to come and pray with us, talk to us about salvation, maybe even about joining the church. You're wondering, I wonder how I joined this church. Well, just this is one way in which we do it. You just come talk to one of us. We'll tell you the next steps uh, from there, and they're fairly easy. If you'd like to come pray at our altar, pray with us. You come uh, as we sing together.
Again, it's been wonderful to worship and uh, gather and, and uh, be here this morning to hear a message from the Lord with all of you. Uh, if you're new with us, there's even time still now to fill out the connection card in the chair back in front of you. Go right ahead and start filling that out. Some of our staff will be scattered around, put it in the offering plates, whatever you would like to do there. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. But just a couple of quick announcements. Next week is going to be a very busy day at Parkway on Sunday. Uh, we have Discover Parkway on uh, Sunday the 28th. That's going to be right after uh, the second service, so at noon till about 2. Uh, lunch is provided for you if you'd like to come to that. Uh, if you're a new uh, person that's been with us around or a new member and just want to learn more about Parkway, more about our core values and beliefs, uh, feel free to sign up for that. You can call the church office and we'll get you all the information you need for that and make sure that there is food for you there. Uh, also, next Sunday at 4.15, there is our quarterly business meeting uh, for that as well. And then outreach on Tuesday night uh, from 5 to 6.30. Now, the outreach team, as Brother Jeff says, is a very exclusive group. Uh, so to be part of that, all you have to do is show up and come. We'd love to put you uh, to helping us gather uh, and... and Sorry, I don't know why I lost my train of thought there. Uh, help us uh, deliver bags out to some of our new members and new guests that have been uh, coming to the church and just kind of make them feel welcome Welcome uh, as well. So thank you so much this morning again for being here. I'm going to stop talking before I mess up anything else this morning. Uh, Brother Jeff, is there anything left this morning? All right, well, let's pray and we will be dismissed then. If you'll stand up with me and we will pray. Father, just thank you again for this opportunity to come and to worship you this morning, Lord. Just allow us, even this week, Lord, to kind of look for you and look for situations uh, where we can uh, share your name, share your glory this, this week, Lord, and allow us to point others towards you and not ourselves, Lord. Uh, allow us to see where we have been living more like the world and not searching after you and living closer to you, Lord. Allow us to move, even now, closer back to you in all that we do. And again, not for ourselves or not that we can be humble, uh, not that we can be uh, lifted up or, or buffed up, Lord, but so that we can humble ourselves and focus solely on you and your name and your glory be all the honor. So in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.